Well, it's a strange transition to go from Jesus be the center of it all to start talking about coffee, um, but that's what I'm going to do. Um, sometimes uh, product warnings seem a little odd and seem a little ridiculous, uh, warning you of things that everybody should kind of already know. Uh, one of the most famous is McDonald's coffee. So on McDonald's coffee, um, if, if you look closely here, um, let's, let's zoom in a little bit more. Let's look at the picture up there at the next one. What does it say up at the top? Caution, handle with care, I'm hot. Um, do we really need to be warned that coffee is hot? Uh, it kind of seems to make sense that it is. Now, two Canadian coffee shops um, found it humorous and decided to make a joke of it. One of them, um, caution hot, avoid pouring on crotch area. Um, another one... Let's see if I can read it from here. I forget what it says. Um, if this was another country, we'd have to tell you that the coffee may be hot. Good thing this is Canada. So good little jab at Americans there from the, from the Canadians. Um, one of the best episodes of Seinfeld, in my opinion, was the coffee um, episode. Kramer and Jerry went to a coffee shop and took the coffee to go. Kramer took his coffee to go, and they were going into a movie. And of course, you can't bring an outside drink in. So what does Kramer do? He shoves it up under his shirt, and he goes in and proceeds in to spill it all over himself and, and gets burnt and, and, and freaks out. Well, then he goes and finds Jackie Childs, the lawyer, and he is going to go after um, this coffee company. And he is offered free coffee for life, which he, which he snaps up and then um, subsequently blows it. Um, so, but the comedy, you know, the, the funny thing from the Canadians and, and, and the episode of Seinfeld actually come from a true story, and there is a real reason as to why we need to have warnings on the coffee cups. Um, in 1992, a woman named Stella Liebeck, um, she's from, was from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and she was at a McDonald's with her grandson and in the drive-thru, and she set her coffee on her lap in order to put creamer in it, and it, and it spilled um, all over her lap. Now, unfortunately, she actually ended up with third-degree burns, and she had skin grafting, and she was in the hospital for eight days. And there are, don't search for them, there are pictures of her actual um, wounds. So it was, it was a very big deal for her, and she ended up suing McDonald's, and later was eventually awarded $640,000 from McDonald's. Turns out McDonald's even knew that between 1982 and 1992, there were apparently 700 people burned by hot McDonald's coffee. So the result is that since 1994, see that was the old cup there, uh, the, the newer cup starting in 94, it says hot, you can't see it in this picture, but it's all the way around, it says hot, 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 caution, contents are hot. Okay, so it's warning you over and over again that you need to do that. Now part of that I think is just realistically trying to avoid future lawsuits, um, but Sometimes the reason why we have strange and odd warnings is because we need them because somebody did a dumb thing and others are going to do it as well. Well, as we study the Ten Commandments, there are obviously ten commandments within there, and there's some that are uh, very, very unique and very specific that need some explaining. You know, keep the Sabbath holy. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't covet your neighbor's home or your neighbor's donkey. But the first commandment seems like one of those warnings that we should already know. Don't worship other gods. Now, the people of Israel, the people to whom it had been given, God's covenant people, had already been in a covenant relationship with God for about 500 years at this point. God had just saved them from 400 years of slavery. 
They had just told God right before receiving the Ten Commandments that they would be his people. This offer that he made that I will be your God and you will be my people, they had accepted that and they had accepted that they would obey him. So it seems like it should go without saying that, yes, obviously, they would not be worshiping other gods. But listen to how God starts the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the words that you spoke to the people of Israel and the words that you speak to us. Lord, help us to take seriously your word. Help us to live in light of your word. Help us to live in the truth of your word. Thank you for these 10 commandments. Thank you for the way that they are not simply guidelines for us, that they are not simply good things for us to think about, but Lord, that they are your law. They are good. They help us to be more like you. They help us to reflect you more. Lord, today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and honoring to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it would seem that Stella Liebeck and about 700 other people are proof that we need the warning that coffee is hot. Likewise, the history of Israel, and I look at my own life, and I see that as proof that we need the first commandment to not have other gods. Last week, we sang one of my favorite hymns. We sang, Come Thou Fount. One of the most powerful verses to me in that song is a lyric that says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. See, God gave us the first commandment because we are prone to wander. Sometimes in big, obvious ways where we may turn our back on God blatantly. But sometimes in small things that we barely even notice. In the day-to-day decisions of life. So, we just read it, but, but where had the Israelites just been delivered from? From Egypt, right? So they, they, had been, they had been in the land of Egypt. And the way that the people of Egypt worshipped is they were not monotheists, but they were polytheists. They did not believe in just one God. They believed in many gods, and they worshipped each of those gods. And actually, most of the people in the world at that point, most of the cultures in the world, were polytheists, worshiping all these various gods. So when God told the people, you shall have no other gods before me, it wasn't hypothetical. It wasn't saying, well, you know, you might run into this issue later. This was a reality that they had been living in. For the last 400 years, they had been living among the people of Egypt, people who worshiped the god Horus, the god Osiris, the god Amun-Ra, and many, many others. So this was a very real issue for them. God also knew that after they had been delivered from Egypt and they were going to be moving on to the next place, the next place where they would be going was Canaan. And in Canaan, they would run across more people who are polytheists, people who worshipped Baal, people who worshipped Asherah. So they would once again be surrounded by opportunities to worship these foreign gods. Well, later on, we see that this became an issue for the people. 
There was a point in history when the people of Israel were ruled by judges. Before there were kings, before there were things like that, they were ruled by judges. Now, there was this pattern that the people of Israel, because they're human, um, got into. And that was that, you know, they would be worshiping God, and that was great, and they were thankful for what God had done. But then, fairly quickly, uh, they would forget what they had learned. They would forget the goodness of God, and then they would start worshiping these foreign gods, the gods of Baal and Asherah and others. Well, God would see this happening and he would say, okay, if this is the path you're going to choose, if you're going to break this covenant, then I will allow people to come in and they will take you over. And the people came in, all these, all these foreign powers came in and they took them over and the people of Israel would cry out to God, God, why have you abandoned us? Where are you? We need a deliverer. We need someone to save us. We have sinned. So God would send a judge and a judge would bring God's judgment and God would deliver the people of God. So then they would be saved and then they would worship God. They would say, we want to worship you and you alone. But then a generation would pass and once again, they would do the same thing. The Israelites lived among, Judges 3, 5 to 7. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and serve the Baals and the Asherahs. Later on, after they told God, you know, we, we want a king just like all the other nations. We want to be like the other nations. We want a king. Well, once again, they fell into this pattern. First Kings 22, 51 to 53. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel for two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he followed the ways of his father and mother and of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshiped Baal and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. King after king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They would build up these high places. They would have what were called Asherah poles. They would go, they would worship these foreign gods. They would take on the ways of the people around them over and over again. Now, of course, we can look at this and say, well, this was a long time removed from when God had delivered the people of Israel, when God had, had entered into this covenant with them. These were people who had not seen God part the Red Sea. These were people who had not heard the voice of God. These are people who had not vowed to follow and obey God. But they were not the first. Remember in Exodus 20, Exodus 19, you have God saying, okay, will you be my people? They say, yes, I will be your people. We will follow your word. We will follow your law. Exodus 20, then we have the law given to the people and the people accept it and the people receive it. These are the same people who saw God part the Red Sea. These are the people who heard the voice of God. These are the people who vowed to obey. Well, Moses went back up the mountain. God, God called Moses back up the mountain to give clarification, to give more law, more, more understanding of what it means to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, to give ways that, that they would worship, to talk about the, uh, the tabernacle and how they would build that. So all of the, the, the kind of the, the system for how they would live and the law of God. So Moses was up there on the mountain. He was receiving this from God. Well, as he was up there, the people grew tired of waiting. It had been a few weeks that he had been up there. And they turned to Aaron, Moses' right-hand man. And they said, we want you to make us a god to worship. And Aaron did it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
God gave us the Ten Commandments and God gave us the first commandment that we shall have no other gods because we need them. Well, now the good news is that in 2019, for most of us, um, we don't have the urge to worship Amun-Ra or Baal. Now, there are people who worship gods like Vishnu and others, but for most of us in the church, that is not a real temptation for us that we have to deal with. See, we look at Scripture and we say, well, you know, if, if, if we study the Word of God, and then if also if we look at, at the, like a, a faith of Islam or a faith of Hinduism, things like that, they're incongruent. You cannot faithfully practice both at the same time. So for most of us, it might, you know, we look at it and say, okay, number one, number one most important commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, great. You know, that's one of those slam dunks. Great, it's kind of like thou shalt not murder. Great, haven't murdered anyone, and, and I haven't been worshiping other gods. But not so fast. You don't have to dig too deep to realize that there are many things in our world, the world back then and in our world today, that we elevate and worship like gods. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, one of the great things about the Sermon on the Mount is seeing how Jesus really fleshes out the, the Ten Commandments and talks about them in very real terms in deeper ways. Again, that, that whole thing where Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So possible the most obvious God from back then and the most obvious God today that we can serve is money. But Jesus was very clear. Well, as we go further down that path and start thinking, okay, well, if, if I can fall into serving money and I can see possessions as a God, we start thinking of other things in our lives. And we look and we see, what are, what are the other things that I may have elevated in my life? What are the things that I may have pushed up above God? There are people we idolize. We can make television a God. We can make food a God. In 2019, we can make our phones a God. Now, obviously, money is not inherently evil. Respecting people isn't wrong. Food isn't sinful in and of itself. So we ask, how do we still have these things in our lives? Because God has given us these things. But how do we do so? How do we enjoy them without making them gods? Well, now, if you're anything like me, when you look at the text, I, I grew up on the NIV, so that's what I, I tend to read a lot. And the NIV says, you shall have no other gods before me. So as I'm figuring this out, I'm going, okay, so then how do I deal with money? Because we live in a society where we have to have money, and pretty much every culture has had money on some level. So how do I have money? How do I have possessions? How do I have relationships with people in a way that does not elevate them um, to, to say that I'm, a, I'm having something, as, something before God? See, if I've placed value and found so much meaning in these things that I've put them before God, there's a definition. If I'm putting them before God, if they are higher in importance to me than God, then I need to deal with it. And this can lead us to some great self-reflection and, and some prayer and say, God, what are the things in my life that I've placed above you that I've put as more important than you, that I've put as a God higher than you? But there's a mistake there. I focus so much on where it says, have no other gods before me, that I'm misunderstanding the meaning of the word before. Right? 
See, when, when we only read one translation of the Bible, we can kind of miss out on some certain things. There's been other passages where I thought I understood what it meant because I'd read the NIV so many times and go, oh, I've just got a messed up understanding of the word before and what it may have meant there. So the meaning of the word before there, it doesn't mean don't put anything above God in your priorities. Don't make any gods higher than God. What before means, the Hebrew word there for before means, is don't put in my presence. Don't put any, have no other gods in my presence. Have no other gods in front of my face. Now, if the entire world, the entire universe is God's presence, if everything is before God's face, it's saying, as long as I am God, you shall have no other gods. The New Living Translation says, you shall have no other gods but me. The message says, no other gods, only me. So one of the important things for us to do when we are reading Scripture is, is we want to say, okay, what is, what is God saying to us in this passage? What is the message that God has for us today? But if we really want to do that, if we want to understand what is the message God has for us, we need to ask, well, what was the message that God had for the people to whom he wrote it originally? Obviously, God was not saying... You must not worship Amun-Ra as much as you worship me. No, what he was saying was, you must not have any other gods at all. It's not they need to be lower than me. You can worship me 85% of the time and then 15% of the time. But that's what we tend to do. To take it another step deeper, think about this. The first commandment is not that you shall not worship other gods. It's that you shall not have other gods. Now, worship is obviously implied here, right? That is, that is an important part when it says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's one of the big things that we do with God is that our natural response to God and who he is, is that we worship him. We see his grace, we see his goodness, we experience all that, and we are called to worship him. But the God who I worship is also the God who I obey. The God who I worship is the one in whom I trust. He's the one in whom I find hope and meaning and identity. His opinion and approval is what matters most. Throughout history, people have found or created new gods to worship. The gods of 1500 BC were Amun-Ra and Baal. The Greeks worshipped Zeus and the Romans worshipped Jupiter. These were made-up gods. These were gods who were volatile. These were gods who were self-serving, always demanding a new sacrifice in order to earn their kindness. Today, we have created new gods to worship, new gods to serve, new gods to define us. But like the Egyptians and the Canaanites and others, our worship of those gods comes back empty and we're left wanting more. Well, as Jesus showed us in the Sermon on the Mount earlier, one of the most destructive and deceptive gods that we serve is money. We search for hope. We search for security in our success. But we always want more money. We always want the better home, the nicer car. Believing, hoping that when we finally get to that one level, then we'll feel safe, then we'll be secure, then everything will be okay. I may not worship money, but how much do I count on money? How much do I count on security? How much do I count on control and on power? 
We chase after the elusive American dream, but lose sight of the mission of God. Well, I would say that, one of, that today, one of the most powerful gods is celebrity. Now, of course, this is nothing new. People have been drawn to powerful and important people for a long time. But you go to the magazine rack at the grocery store, you go on news websites, whether you frequent CNN or at Fox News or MSNBC, whichever one you go to, there are news stories, but some of those news stories include, well, celebrities. And I'm amazed the number of times I look there and I go, I don't really care. It's not even celebrities talking about politics. It's, what did Meghan Markle wear? We long to meet actors. We long to come across the path of musicians and politicians. But now I'd say there's another step that we've gone deeper into this whole issue of celebrity and how we've made celebrity a god. As more of us dream of becoming famous. I'll admit I use Facebook and Instagram quite a bit. And they're great tools. They can be great tools. They're great for connecting with people, with friends of mine who live thousands of miles away. They're great for sharing our lives. They're great for being creative. But they can easily become gods when we obsess over them. When we use them to make people see us as funny or happy or successful or that we have the perfect family in life. We can so easily define our value by the number of likes and comments that we get. Did you hear in the news recently that Instagram has actually recognized this problem? And they've said, I think it's about six countries they've started with, to say, you know what, we are going to hide the number of likes that you have. So I could not go, Jana, do you use Instagram? No, okay. I cannot go to Natalie's page. If I were living in Canada or in one of these other countries, I could not look at Natalie's post and say, oh, she had, you know, 75 likes. It's just going to show me Natalie's post where she's saying, hey, look at Evelyn, isn't she cute? Which is what we're supposed to be doing, right? Instagram has said, this is a problem. We are focusing so much and basing so much of our value on likes, on comments. It can be unhealthy. It can give a false sense of reality. It can make people less creative. What started as a way to reconnect with friends has become, for many, the dream of becoming famous. The other night I was running and thinking of this, and you know, we're living in the reality of school shootings and, and, and things like that. And there's, there, It's a very complicated subject, and I don't pretend to know the answer to it. But I wonder how much of it is tied to this. We're at a time when people strive to be famous, want to be famous, and they have a platform where maybe they can become known a little bit, even for only a few minutes, even for maybe a week. As people who are already twisted see an opportunity to be known, opportunity to be known, opportunity to be famous or infamous, they take that opportunity. In this life, there is an endless supply of false gods. Things, ideas, and even relationships which can draw us in. They can distract us from the mission that God has for us and from experiencing true joy in Jesus Christ. But the good news for us is the very beginning of the Ten Commandments. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The good news is that we worship the one true God. And unlike these fleeting gods of fame and success or the vindictive gods of Canaan and ancient Greece, the God that we serve, Jesus Christ, has come to give us life and to give it to the full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we don't have to rely on the gods of this world, on these false gods that draw us in and leave us empty. But Lord, we trust in you and we worship you. Lord, you are the one true God. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are the creator of all things. Lord, we trust in you. We find our life in you. We find our hope in you. Lord, fix our eyes upon you. Help us to not look to these false gods, these foreign gods. Lord, help us every single day to worship you and you alone, to trust you and you alone, to find hope and life from the ultimate source of life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.